This week's episode is brought to you by S.C. Odinson & Son, makers of Replicator Raid. Developed by top scientists at the underground, well-hidden, forgotten laboratories of Samaria, Replicator Raid is guaranteed to act fast. Spray an infested passageway or cabin with Replicator Raid and watch the little critters writhe in agony and explode with an amusing... Be sure to stock up with our two-for-one sale, which you'll need because this stuff doesn't actually stop them for long. But hey, it'll stop them for a moment. And a moment is all you have need. A moment is all you need. Our thanks to S.C. Odinson & Son for sponsoring this episode. What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 lock. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 64, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Small Victory. Oh, I get it now, Zach. I get it. Small victories. Wait a minute. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's actually kind of... Bi- Whatever. Okay. All right. Hey, guys, we're an independent podcast. Did you know that? Yeah, you did. Uh, you can keep this thing going completely independent. We have a Patreon thing of a thing at patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. Uh, every single dime that you contribute there goes directly towards paying for Zach's computing device, which is absolutely necessary for the con- the continuation of this show. Uh, if you want to hear me stop talking about that, then uh, jump in and, and, and chip in because then that will get us there faster and then I'll quit talking about it. Uh, but uh, we are ha- you, you can you will always be able to find our podcast, uh, you know, for free and everywhere uh, that you find podcasts, Google podcasts and Apple podcasts, and Spotify podcasts and podcasts and every blah, blah, blah. and on aggregators. You just type in walking through the Stargate and there we are. Uh, and we got a couple of things that don't forget about, uh, if you leave a review on Apple podcasts, we'll create a dramatic recreation just for you, just for, well, for everybody, we'll, we'll put it on the show. Um, but because it'll be just because you wrote it, it's real special. And, uh, Hey, Zach, speaking of the Patreon, we got a couple people to thank. Yes. Uh, we'd like to take a moment to give a special thanks to, uh, Matt and to Dana for joining up. Uh, your support is so, so welcome. Thank you so much. And it's integral to keeping this thing going. Many, many, many thanks. Uh, and hey, friends, if you want me to say your name and say thank you, uh, you know what to do. <laughs> you got <laughs> you to gotta fork over some cold, hard cash. Uh, Patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate spelled exactly as it sounds. So, Zach, if a person wants to f- to uh, practice on how to type in walking through the Stargate in some kind of one word, all lowercase fashion, uh, how might how might they do that? You know, you could email us at walking through the Stargate all one word, at gmail.com. Now, don't add the all one word part, because that's not actually part of the, 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 the address, just, just to clarify. It, it would, you'd get a bounce back. You would get a bounce back, probably. Uh, or you can follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking and find us on the Facebook page, Walking Through the Stargate. We've got a page and a group there. Uh, there's been some chatter there this week, so that's oh yeah. Cool. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, uh, we have a Brent Tech and a, a, a Zach Nicotel. <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to have to call you Master Brent Tech from now on. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not sure that's a good idea, Zach. <laughs> oh. So uh, get a hold Brent of us, talk to us. Uh, uh, as always, send us your predictions for what you think will be rating uh, these various episodes. Uh, that's always helpful. Uh, for us uh, we don't look at those until we get to the podcast afterwards mm-hmm. after we've given our ratings so that's kind of fun uh, I think that's about it Brent should we uh, uh, Master Brentech should we uh, get Master into Brent. this podcast <laughs> <laughs> see there's the problem though is that I can't call you Zach Nicotel because that's like that's like talking to your gun this is my very favorite gun
What was her name? Vera? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, sure. Well, <sighs> yeah, okay. So so just because Zach Nicotel doesn't work for me as a regular use name does not mean that Master Brentech doesn't. Yeah, but I'm feeling a little self-conscious right now. Well, then ask the listeners to help you out. By finding a name me. for me. Okay. <laughs> Zach, I am way too Midwestern. It's like, it's not, it's like, no, 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 I can't have nice things. Stop, stop trying to give nice things as opposed to saying, no, Zach needs a nice thing too. Yes. Zach, you need a, you need a, you need a Stargate related uh, nickname. Okay. So, Uh, so yeah, so the listeners need, but we can't give each other the nickname. That's the problem, right? No, somebody else has to give it. That's how nicknames work. That is true. That's true. Uh, thank you very much to... Oh my. You know who you are, who told us Master Brentek and Zach Nick. Um, I don't have it up here. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. I'm sorry. Well, we'll, we'll you know, a, special, a special thank you. Yep. All right, Brent. Yes. Small Victory. Yes. Is an episode that was directed by Martin Wood and written by Robert C. Cooper. I've heard uh, those names before. Yep, you should have. They uh, were also the ones who directed and wrote uh, the previous episode, Nemesis, which I guess in some iterations, part one of the two parts, I don't know. Mm-hmm. They're kind yeah. of the same. They're kind of different. Uh, Teal uh, Teal told me the continue or con- conclusion. Yeah, he told me it was a conclusion. There you go. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Martin, this is his first of seven directing credits this season. Uh, so seven out of 21 or 22 episodes is mm-hmm. pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Cooper uh, wrote four of the episodes this season. It's his first one there. There mm-hmm. is another one that he has an uncredited rewrite to, according to the notes that I have. Gotcha. There you go. Guest actors for this episode. We have Gary Jones as Radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got uh, <laughs> Colin Cunningham back as Major Davis. Yes. And then we've got a couple of uh, new folks to the series. We've got Kiss Yurich, uh, or Yurich Kiss, depending on... It's actually credited in this episode as Yurich Kiss, but uh, I don't know. He plays Yuri. He's one of those two Russian officers yep. at the very beginning. And you have uh-huh. Dmitry Chipovetsky, uh, who plays Boris. <laughs> uh, Kiss Yurich was known for his work on Tron Legacy 2010. He was the half-faced man in that. He was mm-hmm. also in imaginary in the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus in mm-hmm. two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dmitri, who played Boris, was born in nineteen seventy in Lvov, Ukrainian uh, SSR. He was mm-hmm. an actor. He's known for Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol and mm-hmm. Red and mm-hmm. Man of the Year in two thousand six. Okay, so so there you go. Uh, this episode originally aired on June 30th, 2000. Yeah. And in the U.S., they were listening to Enrique Iglesias sing Be With You. Oh, man. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, obviously in post, I'm going to put it all up. I'm gonna, it's going to be playing in the background right now, and I'm okay. going to recognize it, but I can't, I can't recall I, it right now. So. Yeah. Uh, in the U.K., they were listening to uh, Kylie Minogue. Minogue? Minogue. Minogue. Uh, Minogue. As, as she was singing uh, Spinning Around. Now, I definitely know, don't know that song, and in our fine tradition of playing the UK number one 
while you continue to talk, Zach. <laughs> it's Kylie Minogue. She's uh, she's all about the dance and uh, spinning around probably just exactly that high energy pump up early 2000s oh, stuff. Oh, def- so. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, uh, which would up, actually uh, make sense because the first episode, number one movie in the box office. Have you started the yes. music now? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's going. The yeah, Perfect sure. Storm. So there's yeah. a lot of spinning around in that perfect storm. The Patriot is number two. And uh-huh. while she's in the UK, we're in the US, you know, we can be still patriotic about our own various countries. Yes. Uh, you know, and when you're listening to songs like spinning around, you got to do it with your friends. So it's like me, myself, and Irene is number three. <laughs> Uh, and you're spinning around, so it's kind of like you're a chicken running around the place. So chicken run is number four, and naturally you've got uh, Boris and Natasha chasing Rocky and Bullwinkle around, and they're all spinning around going crazy in number five, The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh, <laughs> wow. Well done. Thank well you. done, Zach. That was, that, was, that was some excellent tie-in. Awesome. Well, yeah. you know, uh, these are actually ep- movies that I've actually heard of, and uh, I guess uh, Chicken Run's probably the only one that I've actually seen, uh, but I at least know what they are, so that's a plus. I have seen The Patriots. That's it. I can't remember if I've seen The Patriot. That, that's... Um, Mel Gibson. Yeah. That's He's one of those, those, those uh, epic... Tales like like yes. uh, Braveheart and such. Yes. So basically, if you've seen Braveheart, you've seen The Patriot. It's just a different setting. Don't tell a Revoir reenactor that, but yeah. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there's it's there's a lot there's a lot in there that's 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 quite similar. Yes. Okay. Uh, what happened on or around this day? Well, a couple of weeks before this, uh, on June thirteenth. Uh, South Korean President Kim Dae-yong uh, meets leader of the North Korea, uh, Kim Jong-il, uh, for the beginning of the first ever inter-Korea summit in the northern capital of Pyongyang. Mm-hmm. Also on the 13th, Samuel L. Jackson is honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, ten days later, on June 23, the bulk ore carrier MV Treasure sinks off the western coast of South Africa, soiling more than 19,000 penguins. This resulted in the world's largest ever rescue of birds from an oiling event. Yikes. Yeah. That's a lot of penguins. I was about to make a treasure joke, but then it got serious. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I kept going to prevent that. Yes. Uh, Because it's just going to get even more serious as we move on to June 29th. Eminem's mother goes to court claiming defamation of character in a $10 million civil suit after taking exception to the line, my mother smokes more dope than I do, from her son's single, My Name Is. Mm Mm-hmm. Can't remember Uh, the outcome of that one. I don't think... I don't remember the outcome of that. Uh, but there you go. July yep. 1, one day after this episode aired, the Orisund Bridge connecting Sweden and Denmark fi- finally opens for traffic. And also on July 1, Vermont's civil unions law goes into effect. And uh-huh. I believe that's the first time that uh, uh, gays and lesbians were allowed to have some sort of marriage slash civil union rights mm-hmm. in this country. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, probably right. That's okay. probably why it's notable. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay. Trivia for this yeah. episode. Yes. 
let's so the Russian submariner before opening the torpedo tube. So this is the very beginning. They're speaking in, yes. in Russian for the most yes. part. There's a couple lines that are actually in Ukrainian, but shh, don't tell anybody that. Oh, I uh, see. Oh, you also noticed that there wasn't any uh, subtitles for this. Yes. Uh, and that was intentional because just before he opens the tube, one of them says, what do you think is in there? And the other one says, maybe it's a bug from a previous episode. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's delightful. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, that's so much fun. Uh, the submarine was a Russian Foxtrot class number B-39 sub. Uh, mm-hmm. It had been decommissioned in 1994 and was stored in the Van- in Vancouver from 96 to 2002. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it then became an exhibit at the Maritime Museum of San Diego in 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they actually filmed a lot of that in the actual sub itself. Nice. There were a few shots here or there that they had to build a set for just so that they didn't have quite, so they could actually get some angles that weren't quite so cramped. But yes. uh, one of the intentions of Martin Wood in this episode was to film it with that really cramped, tense style. Yeah. No, they did a good job on that one. Yep. Yep. Uh, the other Asgard that appears on the screen behind Carter um, who's saying something like, oh my gosh, the replicators destroyed five of our ships or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are actually, those are just repeating the same lines in Asgard that were said by a couple of the Asgard in the episode Fifth Race. <laughs> well, they got me on that one. I wasn't paying that close of attention. I wasn't either. I, <laughs> uh, there you go. Um, Major Davis informs Daniel that the Dallas is standing by to torpedo the Russian submarine. The USS Dallas is an actual submarine. Uh, it is a Los Angeles-class nuclear-powered fast-attack sub. Mm-hmm. It's notable in that it was featured in Tom Clancy's novel and the hit film The Hunt for Red October. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was launched on uh, April 28, 1979, and was finally decommissioned by the Navy on April 4, 2018, mm. wow. making her one of the longest active-running subs in U.S. naval history. Mm-hmm. Uh, as of January 2019, so just about a year ago from now, the Dallas is docked in a mothball fleet, and although there are plans to make the Dallas a museum ship in if and when they can raise the funds to do so. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, it's worth noting here that in Hunt for Red October, the USS Dallas is the sub that finally destroys... Uh, the the October the Red October oh yeah in in that movie yep uh, and, and the it's the Dallas here that destroys the sub yeah do um, not mess with the Dallas do not mess with the Dallas uh, don't especially if you're anchored and moored <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of stuck here yeah you're easy sitting duck so yeah pretty much. Um, In a DVD interview, Amanda Tapping said that while filming her scenes with Thor, the puppet's arm touched her bottom, and she slapped it away and then apologized to Thor before she realized she was talking to a puppet. Which, which, on one hand, that's funny, right? Because, you know, it's a puppet. Yeah. But on the second part, it's a little like, you know, good Lord, how many times did she have to deal with people trying to get a squeeze in the bottom that she that her that it's a reflex like like right. that's that's sad and terrible well okay i'll uh, be honest though uh you know 
if anybody, I mean, I don't have this happen to me as a general rule. People don't come up and just squeeze my butt for no reason. Yeah. Um, thankfully, that doesn't happen to me. It shouldn't happen to anybody. But uh, if somebody were to do that, it has happened occasionally. My first reaction is to slap it away. So, um, you know, having that as a first reaction isn't necessarily a bad thing, but having to have it happen on a regular basis, definitely. Yes. Uh, I'm assuming the frequency just because I guess it doesn't really happen to me all that often. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know from this whether or not this was uh, just her bumping into the puppet or the puppet being swung around in the, the chair it was oh, in yeah. and it happened oh, no. to that, yeah. or if yeah. there was some intentionality there. I don't know. It oh, no. It just, it um, just sticks out. That's yep. all. So one of the things that I also learned in the Illustrated Companion here, uh, A, Martin Wood had a lot of fun with this episode, but also he did have one of his crew members climb into one of the, the torpedo tubes just so they could tip some water on some of the actors when they opened the door. Yeah. Um, I was wondering also, how they got the water in the tube. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, they had to have somebody climb into that when at the very beginning when they were showing from the, the, the replicator's point of view coming in and attacking um, the, the Russian officers there. Yes. Uh, they had to have somebody climb into there. Um, yeah. which that makes sense but yep. on the other hand though like yep somebody somebody who's not claustrophobic yep. had to go yep. climbing into a torpedo uh, tube one final bit of trivia here um, you'll, if you recall at the very beginning when the replicator jumps up onto the guy's face it kind of spits him with acid right mm, yeah I guess so okay well what that that was the actor actually had a an aerosol spray can in his hand uh-huh. And, and and he kind of jumped out and, went, and he yes. and so the, the spray is actually a physical effect and then yes. they had to very carefully digitally create uh, the replicator to jump up on there and kind of shift the, the shape of his hand and, and kind yes. of smudge out the, the, yes. the can uh, to put the, the spider there, the, the replicator there to do that, uh, hey, which I think it actually worked out really, really quite nicely. Yes. Yes. So, Agreed. Um, this episode in other, uh, languages is called, mm -hmm. uh, illusory victories in French. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's called, uh, small victories in various other places in German. Mm -hmm. They just call it nemesis part two. <laughs> <laughs> Why waste words? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Look, it's Nemesis Part Two. What's the deal? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, one goof of note here: um, when you shoot a twelve-gauge shotgun into a tight, confined space like a submarine, the yes. uh, sound of that is enough to basically blow your eardrums sky high especially go bang 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 so. yeah, um, yeah, yeah and yet none of our uh intrepid characters appear to be wearing particularly strong ear protection <laughs> at all yeah, you know so you know they apparently have superhero eardrums which yes they do bleed. that's right they i mean heroes heroes are people not like you and isaac well what are you saying you're saying i'm not a hero Your heroics are in other ways. Zach. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Thanks, yes. Brian. You're welcome. 
All right. <laughs> <laughs> Shall but we? yeah, no, don't don't show us don't shoot a shotgun in uh in yes. you know. Yeah, if a, you're in, in a, a sub, don't shoot a shotgun. Don't shoot a shotgun. There you go. Without You know, actually shoot. I was I was thinking about this a little bit though, because like um it's something of a rule, and I only know this from reading things like Tom Clancy Tom Clancy novels, specifically on for Red October, um, where uh you don't make noise in a submarine. Like the, half of the point of being in a sub is being invisible. And with passive sonar, it's always listening for stuff. Um, and so that the uh, that the sailors were just kind of stomping around, uh, you know, clacking and banging around and such. Uh, it was fine. It's a, it's a television show. It's fine. But I but after a little while, I'm like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be banging around. You're supposed to be quiet. You guys are you guys are on patrol. So you know, hush hush. Be, yeah. be, be silent. Alas, those two were not actually Russian submariners, and so as a result, they were can be forgiven for um for having for making a mistake. It's fine. All right, shall we dig into the synopsis for Small Victories? Yes, let's get to it. All right. Fresh off the success of destroying Thor's ship and the replicator threat, the SGC can now focus on getting the Beta Gate up and running. Hopefully, SG One survived to return home. Surprise, they did! Wahoo! Yay! But Tilk did bring back with him a strange caterpillar attached to his chin. Oh my gosh. Uh, meanwhile, on a Russian Foxtrot <laughs> class submarine, a strange metal spider crawls in through a torpedo tube and takes over. Not all the replicators were destroyed. The U.S. Navy has been able, however, to take the Russian Foxtrot sub and tow it into dock. Jack says, blow it up! But things are complicated. The Russians picked up the Asgard ship crashing into the ocean, and they aren't buying the U.S. cover story. Major Davis and General Hammond admit to a political mess there, both hoping that SG-1, as experts on the replicators, have another option for them. Jack, then, as an expert, says, blow it up. (laughs) As the team prepares to move out, Thor arrives through the Stargate and enlists SG-1 to aid him. The war with replicators is going badly, and the robotic invaders are at the doorstep of the Asgard homeworld. SG-1's tactics were successful against the replicators. Asgard would never have thought of repelling small shards of metal with a combustible powder. They're too advanced for such thinking. They need (laughs) someone dumber than themselves. Carter volunteers to help the Asgard. I don't know, Carter, are you dumb enough for this? (laughs) <laughs> as O'Neill, Teal'c, and Jackson head to the Russian sub to deal with the replicators on Earth. At the submarine, O'Neill, Teal'c, and a couple of red shirts enter the sub to gain some intelligence. Jackson and Davis, along with Sergeant Siler, run the base camp. They see replicators that are different in color than the ones on Thor's ship. They discover a large mother bug actively creating more blocks and more bugs. The replicators attack. A redshirt is killed. Tilk is injured. The exploration team falls back. Don't worry, no. they're okay. Well, Meanwhile, at the Asgard homeworld, Carter sees the incomplete Asgard ship named the O'Neill, designed specifically to fight the replicators, and witnesses a short one-sided naval battle in an attempt to stem the advance of the replicators. Currently, five Asgard ships are in battle with three replicator-controlled ships. 
Unfortunately, no dumb ideas are forthcoming for the human major. And then news comes. The five Asgard ships have been destroyed. Yikes. Back at base camp, Dr. Fraser cleans and dresses Teal'c's wound. She extracts a portion of a replicator block that has been corroded. Jackson theorizes that the replicators are made out of the same materials as the objects they consume. And since most of the replicators are made out of the submarine, contact with water will cause them to rust and deteriorate and short out. Unfortunately, at least one of the replicators is the survivor from Thor's ship and would be made of materials resistant to seawater. So the team must go back into the submarine and ensure that the surviving replicator is destroyed before they can blow up the sub. Back on the Asgard homeworld, Carter suddenly comes up with a daring and stupid plan. The replicators are attracted to new technology. They will want the O'Neill. It's the best thing they've ever seen. Offer it to them. Get the replicators to chase the O'Neill and then blow it up along with the replicator ships. Thor doesn't like Carter's dumb idea, but when <laughs> Carter leans into the whole stupid idea trope, Thor agrees to take the risk. The O'Neill ships out. It goes into hyperspace. The replicator ships follow. The O'Neill self-destructs. The ensuing shockwave blows up all three replicator ships. The day is saved, thanks to the power of human stupidity. <laughs> While this worked once, Yay. they cannot expect this tactic to work again the next time. The Asgard troubles with the replicators is not over. Back on Earth, O'Neill and Teal'c penetrate the submarine and find the original replicator masquerading as the mother bug. They destroy the replicator, successfully pissing off all the other replicators. <laughs> the bugs effectively overrun O'Neill and Teal'c uh, oh, oh, the, the, mm, I'll try again. The okay. bugs effectively overrun O'Neill and Teal'c's position, blocking their path to freedom. The replicators mm -hmm. also begin moving the sub, attempting to take it deep underwater. O'Neill orders Daniel to give the word and have the sub destroyed. Daniel hesitates for a moment, but then finally gives the command. But just before the sub is destroyed, and O'Neill and Teal'c are overwhelmed by the replicators, Thor's ship arrives in orbit and beams the two to safety. O'Neill and Teal'c are saved thanks to the power Hooray! of the Asgard transporter beams. Thor is thankful for Carter's help. O'Neill and Teal'c are thankful for the 11th hour rescue. Thor continues by promising to return and assist with the Gould threat once they have finally dealt with the replicators. Jack offers to take Thor fishing, where the bass grow this, well, this big... Thor declines the offer by beaming them all back. <laughs> the end. The end. So, Brent. Yeah. Small victories. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? Well, there were definitely some parts that were good. That's for sure. I like the special effects. I like the CG. I like seeing at the Asgard Homeworld. What's the Asgard Homeworld's name? I don't know if I know Asgard that yet. Asgard Homeworld? Is it, is it Asgard Homeworld? Or? I don't know if it has a name specifically. Yeah. Well, anyway, it was fun to see that. It was fun to see the technology. It was fun to see the, the O'Neill. This fully functional battle station. Not quite. Um, uh, let's see. What else? Uh, but yeah. Um, for being gone a week, everybody looked clean shaven, except for, you know, Teal'c's new, new look. <laughs> <laughs> that that, that was uh, Christopher Judge's decision. 
Was um, it? Okay. And uh, after some time, uh, spoiler alert, uh, that disappears. Oh, good. I don't because remember the first, how long that the lasts. The first thing that I thought of when I saw it was that I thought we were going to take a trip to Flavortown, and I was not excited for that. So uh the let's see what else is the did i have going on with this one um the uh uh the story itself was pretty underwhelming (laughs) i mean yeah yeah here we are here we are we're finally facing we're finally facing the threat that has been uh ominously mentioned and it's a bunch of bugs it's a bunch of lego bugs and um and they seem curiously susceptible to projectile weapons, which also just kind of baffles me a little bit. Um, but whatever, uh, that, that, that's uh, I'll just take that. I'll take that as it is. Uh, also, didn't we see them reassemble? Yeah, we did. So they're kind of susceptible, I guess, but not all the way susceptible. Which I bring that up because when we finally dealt with 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 the mom bug. Um, you know, I guess I'm just going to have to sort of retcon it like she was in a weakened state or something. I don't know. Uh, so that a shotgun blast actually successfully did the trick as opposed to allowing it to reassemble again and just keep going. Um, well, it was shot like a zillion times. I mean, but. I OK. <laughs> I mean, these things are really there. That one in particular is made out of some really advanced materials like it would seem peculiar that kinetic energy is the thing that does it in i mean i get that that was the whole premise of the thing it was just it was just a little much to believe that's all all right that that that, it was just kind of a little a little much and then the 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 you know the ultimate end for the uh asgard homeworld attack really i don't know if it was a problem with like the pace or maybe the music or what but it just kind of ended Right. Like they chase after the O'Neill. We see this graphic of the O'Neill in hyperspace. We see this graphic of three ships like zippity doo, like right on top of it all of a sudden. And then, you know, a graphic of the O'Neill blowing up and then a graphic of the other three ships just sort of like evaporating behind it. And that's it. Hooray. It worked. Hooray. But it just didn't feel very climactic. Uh, The submarine back on Earth felt way more climactic. Um and of the two problems, the Asgard homeworld being overrun by the enemy that was ominously foretold in season two uh, should have been more perilous <laughs> than a couple of dudes in a submarine uh, getting chased by some, you know, some rusty spiders. Like that seemed <laughs> just it just seemed out of place. It just seemed out of place. No, <laughs> f- for our purposes, our heroes are in trouble and our heroes get dramatically rescued at the 11th hour in in, in a great way. Uh, and again, the acting and the storytelling, like in broad strokes, is great. Uh, you know the 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 way that uh, the way that the actors have absolutely settled into their characters is evidence. Uh, there's there's there is excellent chemistry happening across all of the actors. I mean, it's 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 delightful. Um, so as a result, I'm sitting here going like, well, you know, what did I think about this one? And it's, there's parts about it that I'm just like, really, really? That was not quite as satisfying of a crunch as I was expecting. Uh, and on the other hand, it's just nice to sort of have, you know, more show to watch basically. I mean, I'm, I'm spoiled. I didn't have a two and a half month or so wait, uh, between seasons. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, Hey, it's, it's just nice to 
watch the dynamics play out. It's just nice to have them do their thing. It's, you know, it's fun to have. Uh... I did have a moment, though, where I'm like, where Frazier is telling uh, Jackson to take it easy. And I'm sitting there like, what happened to Jackson again? Oh, right. The appendix. That was the <laughs> <laughs> that was that was kind of a thing last time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I felt it was I, th- I thought it was fine. But, uh, you know, I also thought it probably could have been better in other ways. But I don't know. What did you think? You know, I, I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to disagree a little bit because I really sure. enjoyed this episode. Sure. I have fun with this one. Um, uh, for me, I guess what what takes me up and sweeps me away in this episode are the special effects. Um, mm-hmm. They really are quite good. The, the replicators are predominantly uh, CG effects, and yet they look, yes. even in the the hd you know uh or the the more than standard def that i'm watching it in on Mm -hmm. amazon um is really good it holds up uh i really liked the way this was shot and and uh as i was listening to the commentary i heard martin wood talk about this but that you know as the tension in the sub ramps up they move from a progressively uh narrower and narrower uh shot and and a closer and closer view of 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 things with the camera angles and such um and and there is a great deal of tension there um there are a couple of spots where where you know it just kind of happens to be a reveal like oh look he looks fine yep oh look the whole team's fine yep mm-hmm. no big deal um so there are a couple of moments like that perhaps um but uh you know and then when you compare that to what's happening on the asgard they use very wide lens uh for that and so it just feels yeah. open and so yeah. you really get that huge that big contrast of of the openness of of thor and and uh the asgard uh, and that ship that they're on, and then uh, um, the the cramped quarters on the sub there. Uh, mm-hmm. I liked it. Uh, you know, the 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 acting is wonderful. The the quips are are really solid in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a couple of shots there at the beginning where where uh, Carter is watching or uh, playing with a couple of replicator blocks, and she's like, "I think I'm gonna be fine." Sure, and and then as as O'Neill leaves, uh, and then she runs after him. Of course, that's all um, uh, shot with the same angles and and yep. shaping as as what happened in the previous episode. There, uh, I like deja that little vu. callback. Uh, deja vu. <laughs> uh, we see Martin Wood again in this episode. Um, last week. He was in that hallway walking away as uh, towards them as, as O'Neill gets uh, beamed away. Yeah. Uh, in this episode, though, he and Siler are, are walking down the hall just at the beginning when uh, Jackson just barrels down the hallway and runs into people and runs into the elevator. Well, Martin Wood is one of those two guys there. Um, gotcha. Uh, that, that's just an aside, um, but I like finding them. Yeah. Um, you know... Uh, yeah. The 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 graphics are what really gets me, and and the way that the the tension I felt is ratcheted up, uh, in in the sub especially, um, and for me the fact that uh, the B story with with uh, Thor and 
Carter being a little bit of a uh, release of tension works for me uh, mm-hmm. personally. Uh, there's still tension there, and there's reality, and you know it is a kind of a dumb idea. Uh, how are you going to solve these things? So, well, you're going to get them to go into hyperspace, and the shields aren't working the same way in hyperspace, and then you just blow up the ship, and the shockwave is going to get everything behind them. Uh, really? That that works? Uh, well, it is a dumb idea. Uh, but that was the the angle that they leaned into. So, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Um, and of course, uh, Thor tells you, yeah, okay. So we had this little victory here. You know, we stopped this imminent threat right now, but that doesn't mean that the replicators aren't still really big badasses. Uh, right. You know. Uh, and, you know, Martin Wood said he didn't like the, the, the replicators because they didn't have faces and whatnot. Uh, but personally, I like the fact that these replicators uh, are just... They just march forward, and they don't really care. And they're just going to keep marching forward. And so it's not enough to just, uh, you know, you can't just punch them in the nose and then they'll like, oh, right. ow, and then they'll run off and then, you know. But but the the indomitable quality of, of that just incessant march forward mm-hmm. um, is insanely threatening, even if, you know, in this one moment they're sufficiently contained that uh, 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 stop them by blowing up the sub. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I liked it. I think, uh, I think that this is probably just going to be one of those things where we end up uh, on different pages on this one, specifically for me, for the replicators. Uh, I need my bad guys to have malice and a swarm is just self-perpetuating and Mm. we interpret it as malice because it's threatening us. And, you know, and you're right. Uh, there is a terror to it because it is just, it's just, it's all it's doing is just eating and replicating. That's what it's doing. Um, and there is no sitting there going, you know, there's, there's no leader of the bugs that you can sit with and be like, hey, 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 let's, uh, you know, let's talk about this for a second. What's your plan after you eat everything? <laughs> um, you know, like there's no, there's no reasoning at all. And so as a result, you're right. There is no, um, there's no path where, uh, you know, other than attrition that can, that seems that, that, that looks like it can work right now. But as far as threats are concerned, um, when I heard Thor tell O'Neill and the others that the Gould are not as threatening as they think they are, because there are other threats out there that are much more meaningful and that the Asgard are taking care of one right now. There's a reason why the Asgard aren't here in our galaxy helping us mop up the Gould is because they're busy right now. Thank you very much. Um, implies that there has been this, 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 this kind. Of, well, I was expecting a an enemy, and of course that's exa- that's exactly how they wrote it. You know, back in season two, they wrote it vaguely because they didn't really know what they were going to talk. You know, they didn't know what they meant by that when the writer when the writers were doing it. They just wanted to kind of set up a thing of like, look, the Asgard aren't going to sweep into Earth and take care of us. Like they they they're busy right now. Thank you. They're taking care of other urgent matters. Um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, here we are taking a look at the urgent matters and I'm going, uh, I wish it were more malevolent is really what mm. it is. Um, uh, I'm not, uh, my emotional hook is not, uh, activated 
because they've got, um, you know, because they've got an infestation going on. You know, right. it is it's a thing. It's it's a thing. It's a thing. I'm I'm willing to go along, especially because, like, uh, you know, let this thing, l- let me just let this thing play out, or you know what I mean. Like, let let, let me just see where this goes. Let me not, you know, armchair quarterback uh, right now, being like, eh, this is dumb. These bugs, come on, boo. Um, you know, I I I'm trusting that this is this is going to be worth it. Uh, just at the moment right now, it's like really like. You get a couple of uh, bug-infested ships, and they go chase the bait, like a couple of dogs, and uh, you're able to take them out with, you know, with something that's clever, which is good. Um, that moment just felt like it was downplayed, and, uh, you know, and you were right by calling it the B story. Uh, that's sort of the other thing that I kind of have a beef with. Um, like, of the two stories... I understand why the A story has to be our heroes on our planet. Um, I appreciate that. But to force an attack on the Asgard homeworld that literally means annihilation. <laughs> like it was it was it, it, if it wasn't said explicitly, which I think it was, it was certainly implied that this is it. Like, you know, like they're they're coming Thor has come to Earth to ask for SG-1's help because they're like out of ideas right now. Literally the entire race is out of ideas right now and this is it, right? They've got a few ships coming, they're throwing what they've got at it, but this is it. And they're like we're in desperate need of help. I was expecting um the moment to be a little bit more along the lines of like Carter has a dumb idea that is not actually dumb. Right. And not like so crazy, it just might work, but more along the lines of like, it's just a function of being a different species that you are able to look at something and fundamentally view it differently. Just, just by definition. And as a result, I think that's what happened. Uh, I don't really think the idea is quite so dumb as I was, uh, of course in, in there. Sure. Um, it is a radical idea. Um, you know, here they built this thing that's, that's the most technologically advanced thing that they've ever built, um, and they're going to use it specifically to fight the replicators, although exactly what that meant, I don't know, because they clearly didn't really don't have any clear ideas of as to how to fight the replicators. Right. right. Um, but okay, take that as it is. Um, <clears throat> the, the Asgard would, are not in the right frame of mind to be able to say, Hey, this whole thing that we've just spent a gazillion dollars to build, let's just right. go blow it up because it's the only it's either that or we lose the planet. They're not in a place to even begin to to process that as a possibility. Sure. And it takes the completely alien point of view of Carter uh, to to bring that up. Um, and uh, you know, is it a crazy idea? You know, yeah, it is kind of crazy. Is it just so crazy it might work? Well, maybe a little bit, but also at the same time, uh, it's rooted in logic. We've been yeah. told uh, that the shields shiny things. don't work the yeah, same way yeah, yeah. in hyperspace, and we know from a fact that the replicators will chase shiny things. So, okay, put A and B together and do that, and you know. Mission accomplished. So it's not a dumb idea. Um, I did have something I wanted to add. You talked about you wanted malice in your enemy. Yes. And, you know, sometimes I want that, but also... So 
I've mentioned on the podcast, and you know this, that I work at a church. Mm-hmm. And churches are notorious for this thing called politics. Yeah. And for yeah. you yes. great listeners out <laughs> there who uh, aren't participating in churches at this moment in your life, know that church politics uh, can be and often is as vitriolic and often more time more vitriolic than even our uh, politics in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and anybody who's been paying attention to the news of the U.S. Uh, of late knows that our politics, at least in this country, can be pretty nasty. Uh, it yes. can get that way in churches as well. It is very, very easy in churches and in other places, uh, but I'm going to limit this conversation to churches, to look at the people who have a different point of view and label them as malicious. Yeah. Uh, and it does happen where you get malicious people in churches. Why? Because there are people, and people mm-hmm. are in churches as there are people anywhere else, and sometimes mm-hmm. people are malicious. That said, more often than not, it's not a sense of malice. It is a sense of uh, radical and utter different perspective. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. And then you have two perspectives that are banging into each other and causing significant issues within the church. Um, and that is probably as threatening, if it's not handled well, than actual malice. Mm -hmm. Because if there's malice, then there is, ah, look, we just have to get rid of this one ringleader, and we get rid of the ringleader, and then the problem goes away. That's the the fallacy of uh, the malicious leader. Um, And one of the things that we see here in the replicators is a reality that there is something within the makeup of, of us, because let's be honest, this is a TV show. It's a sh- show that talks about humans. Uh, right. Uh, so everything is a, a metaphor for some element within our realm. There is something in us that is indomitable, that moves forward, that continues to consume and will destroy whatever is in its path. And mm-hmm. that can be a serious problem. And ultimately, there's not a real face to it. We put a face to it. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for the Democrats, they put Trump as the face of that malice. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, you could do all you want to Trump. You could get him out of office. Then wouldn't matter. The machine that he is part of would continue to run. And, you know, you could uh, put that on any face, whatever. That machine mm-hmm. is going to continue to run without the face. And that is what's represented in the replicators. And so here now you have a few small victories. You have stemmed the tide in this moment, uh, and that's good. But don't let your guard down because more is going to come. And Mm -hmm. that's the message of the replicator. And that's what I like about it. Uh, That's what I liked about the Borg in Star Trek. That's what I didn't like when the Borg got all of a sudden a queen and became defeatable. Uh, And all of that stuff. Uh, I like that indomitable quality of just a machine that's going to be moving forward. And it's destructive. And we need to stand up to it. um, But not try to think that uh, we can simply just uh, 
uh, overwhelm it with other forces of power and 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 save the day in that way. There, there's there's mm-hmm. a different direction that there. Okay, I'm gonna step off my soapbox. <laughs> I don't know. That's a pretty good soapbox. Okay. Yeah the 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 desire for a central character that embodies a lot of what you're talking about mm-hmm. is um is a part of the escapism that I want from these types of stories. Uh, you're right. Science fiction at its heart is always talking about us. It's always reflecting back aspects of humanity and examining it in different ways to help us think about those aspects differently. Uh, it, it reflects back that, that parasitic nature of what, what exists uh, to get us to sort of talk about these types of things and then say, Oh, you know what? That sounds an awful lot. Like that sounds an awful lot. Like, uh, you know, mindless consumerism, like, you know, there there's, there's aspects about it, which get, which intentionally when it's done right, intentionally create moments of conversation or -hmm. at least reflection. And, um, there is, uh, you know, I've watched enough television stories to get a little worried when the story starts to take a turn into, uh, you know, g- going in and starting to talk about uh, sort of forces of humanity as opposed to traits of humanity, and I, that's kind of a weird way to distinguish it. But I've kind of, in, I, I kind of mean. Um, yeah, the reason why the plague of locusts is so terrible is because it doesn't matter what you do uh, at all. It is arbitrary and it destroys you. And that is one of the things that uh, I think is foundational to uh, drive a lot of fear in people. They hate it when things are arbitrary. It keeps them up at night when they know that they can do everything right and it still doesn't matter. Um, the 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 uh, replicators sort of reflect that that aspect of um you know yeah you you've got you got your upper hand right now you did something right and in another degree it kind of doesn't matter um you know un- until you are able to eradicate all of them you have eradicated none of them um you've just bought some time and uh well, that I'm going to I'm going to push back on that a little bit Brent mm-hmm. um yeah the the implication though there that victory only occurs in in the uh destruction or uh pacification of one's enemy and i think one of the things that we learned that this episode is telling us whether uh it was intentional by the creators or not i suspect not but one of the things that that's here is that um the what matters ultimately is not whether or not you can actually defeat the enemy uh permanently but can you stand up to the enemy to the best of your ability so long as you're able um and, and there's that that sense of of just taking that moment when you have it and saying um okay you know because in an indomitable threat like this, or in life, whatever that is, consumerism or the like, um, we're never going to get rid of it. Right. You know? 
Um, the theological term for that is sin. I don't want to bring too much theology in here, but that's still what mm-hmm. it is. Um, the force that gets rid of, of that is coming necessarily outside of our system because it is inherent in our system. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that we just give up and say, oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter. What it does mean well, is that we continue to stand up to it and make strides whenever we can uh, towards it. With the, you know, I mean, th- that, that's, and, and in that we get our victory, in that we get our sense of purpose. Um, the, the purpose does not come from trying to annihilate that which is different than us. Um, or that which is uh, catastrophic to us, the, the, the victory comes in, in, uh, in standing up to it and saying, I'm going to draw a line right here and say no. Uh, and if I'm successful in this moment, that's wonderful. Um, but I also know, and I don't fool myself to think that uh, I, I, ha- I can let down my guard because over there I'm going to have to do the same thing in a different environment. And after I do that, I'm going to realize that where I just left over there, I'm going to have to do it again. And it's that sense of constantly being vigilant to say, no, uh, I'm not going to let that dictate how I operate. The, I, I don't know if this story communicated that point. I think that you, you took that point and I'm glad you shared that because I can see exactly how uh, how a person can come to that conclusion, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it it is it is very evident that if you a person if a person is watching this episode and they are uh, and and they are in a they are in a place themselves where uh, they would really just like to see a moment where uh, the uh the outcome is a given you know the the uh the ultimate loss is assured but uh but they're going to do what they can this day because that is what they because that is the ultimate in defiance um you know the the act of 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 never giving up because uh because the the most logical thing to do or the most sane thing to do would be to give up and and by very by the very act of not giving up is the act of self-determination that is that is that is uh um you know defining your moment in this long chain of moments that we call existence mm-hmm. um and i didn't pick up that message and so i don't know if that means that i'm just in a different spot Right. Um, or what, uh, you know, like, is it in the eye of the beholder at that point? Uh, you know, again, I'm glad you brought it up because I hadn't thought of that. Um, I am in a position where, you know what I'd like, you know what I'd like, uh, Zach, I'd like to feel like I've got a win, right. You know, like it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, when, when I consider the totality of what's on my mind, there are spots where I've got wins and there are spots where I don't. But, you know, when I'm when I'm running away to a little pretend land for 40 minutes, uh, you know, even if it even if our heroes end up getting knocked back, even if you know, even if they get even if they take it on the chin and they're dropped to the mat um, and it looks like it's going to be a, a, a terrible lost cause, uh, you know, I want uh, I want a little moment where uh, they push themselves back up. Uh, even though they they really should just stay down, 
and they swing one more time and this time it lands right or you know this time this time it fundamentally changes things and it feels like a momentum shift uh this moment did not no i didn't feel like it you know it yeah there was this deep there was this there was this existential threat that uh that was there and was like yep and there it went like i didn't feel like it got i didn't get tugged on that one and it, so you, and it, so you it, needed that that Rocky getting his eyelids slit sorta. open so he could stand up and actually see the the big bad guy that's right there in front of him. Um, I mean, could be. Uh, and you know, and and I am a hundred percent willing to chalk it up to interpretation. Uh, you know, a, you know, a, a, a point in time, like where I am in my life, etc. You know, I, I, if if everybody replies back and says, no, Brent, like when I saw this, I was feeling like this was a rocky moment. Um, you know, that's 100%. But that it just it felt like it's um, it felt like it didn't have the buildup that I wanted. And it felt like it didn't quite have a bit of that momentum shaking punch to it. Okay. Uh, it, it just felt like it just came and went a little too fast. Um, I have two comments. Yeah. One, um, you made a comment, uh, something about the line that, that uh, am I reading into this or is this something that was natively there? I think I'm reading a lot into this. Sure. Uh, I don't think that Martin Wood uh, and the writers, uh, Robert Cooper and, and the such, were, were thinking as deeply about this mm. as I am. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, so I think in that regard, I am reading into it. Uh, that said, I think it's still there, whether they realize they put it there or not. Um, so yeah. that's that. Also, yep. um, I have the privilege of knowing the future story of the replicators in this one here. And that's true. I will say that the threat, the, the uh, um, danger ramps up as the series progresses. Um, and I hope that when uh, the storyline comes to its conclusion, uh, whenever that is, however that is, uh, you are satisfied. With it. You know, I really expect that I will be, honestly. Um, I have been doing my best in every single one of these moments where we're talking about how we kind of thought about the episode. I mean, I I'm being genuine to the idea of, you know, what are my reactions to it in the immediate, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, where am I at right now? There, you know, it's a combo. Like it's, it's, I kind of wanted that punch to land a little harder. Mm-hmm. And right now at this moment, though, I'm glad to hear that it's, it's, you know, the good storytellers are going to tell a good story. That makes me very happy. But right now at this moment, I'm kind of like, a, okay, we win, win, we win. I mean, we're not, we're not done. They're still out there, but you know, we save the day? Question mark. It, well, it's a small victory. It's a small, it's an illusory victory. <laughs> well, Actually, what it really is, is just the second part of Nemesis is really what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Nemesis part two. It's just Nemesis part two. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, I I would find it fascinating, Brent, um, and I don't know if we'll ever get to this, but if we, you know, when when we get to the point of finishing uh, all of Stargate that's out there, to come yeah. back and rewatch it again and to hear your yeah. perspectives on some of these episodes, uh, now knowing the totality of of the story and, oh, and how yeah. that would change, I'd be curious about that. Uh, you know, but if that's, we that, that's a long yeah. time from now. 
so if <laughs> slash when, because, you know, yeah, it is in a long time, but whatever, like, you know, assume that we get all, all the way through the Stargate content, uh, you know, we undoubtedly are going to want to be doing things like, let's go and rewatch this thing, you know? Yeah. I know that that's, uh, you know, the forcing a recount is a perk that we have in our little Patreon, but uh, even, you know, the, you know, many years down the line, uh, you know, when we get to the conclusion of Stargate content, if we're still wanting to make this show go, then it would probably be a lot of fun to go back and, you know, let's rewatch this one pivotal moment. And like, yeah. so Brent, you said this. Do you still stand behind? <laughs> <laughs> Defend yourself now, sir. Yep. Well, Brent, I think it is that time. Uh, yeah. When we shift gears, and yeah. uh, after watching the episode, after having a wonderful, delightful conversation, at least from my end, uh, yeah. for you know the last uh, forty or fifty minutes or so, um, I ask you now: mm-hmm. small victories. Mm-hmm. How many chevrons does it get? So I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of bagging on it because I was expecting a bit more oomph to it. And I didn't feel like I got a lot of oomph. Now, in the future, if uh, you know, if it if it turns into a great, uh, you know, uh, setting of the stage that provides said oomph, then uh, this moment is going to feel a little silly, a little, a little trite. But um, you know, it was it was fun. I was glad to see the crew all back together again. The effects were great. Uh, the advancement of some of the background information was delightful. Uh, and, you know, there was a threat and it was taken care of and it was taken care of in a way that was it was logical. It was reasonable. Uh, nothing about it was was far fetched. Um, but out of seven. All right, I'm going to be harsh, but I'm recognizing that I'm going to be harsh. I'm going to give okay. this one a four out of seven chevrons, four chevrons, which is just over halfway, but it really has a lot to do with me being like, I'm kind of a little let, I'm not like let down, let down, but I'm just like, mm, I don't know, man. I don't yeah. know. We'll see how this goes. Okay. What do you, what about four. you? What do you think? Um, so I think four is too, too few. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't say, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I like, the I you know as I watch this episode there there are emotions and uh, the the storytelling techniques that that really resonate with me uh, mm-hmm. you know that feeling of being on that sub of dealing with whatever it is this this indomitable threat that's coming at us uh, in a tight enclosed space of fighting against it of of being willing to make that ultimate sacrifice we're lucky that mm-hmm. that O'Neill and Teal'c uh, get beamed out yes. in the last yes uh, second um, but but that all resonates with me. Uh, also, in the bees story, uh, to sit there and look at something, and this is the problem at hand, and everything I have tried doesn't work, and this is now just getting worse and worse and worse. Now what do I do? And having that moment of having to completely uh, spin it around and look at it from a completely different angle and come at it from a completely different perspective, and then to discover that when I look at something from a different perspective, it turns out to be different and solvable. Mm-hmm. Uh, those things just resonate with my very being. 
Uh, coupled with that, the great acting, uh, the great special effects, mm-hmm. the uh, you know all of that stuff. I I have to give this a seven, honestly. Wow, th- th- this this is that good for me. Yeah, all right. Um, no, that's really no. Like I'm not. I by no means am I sitting here thinking to myself that that's a foolish score. Like I, I'm not. I'm not at all. Uh, part of me is envious. Uh, and you know maybe in time uh, we'll we'll come back to this one and I'll be like, gotcha. Now, I, yeah, okay. I can see how this puzzle piece fits into things better or something like that. But yeah, awesome. Yeah, I know. I don't know if a rewatch in after the next 200 odd episodes of Stargate, well, more than that, um, whatever it is, uh, if you come back around, if you watch, if, watch this, if your score will change. But, you know, for me, this just, it hits, it hits, it hits the, the right marks. spots for me yeah. in this time. Yeah. Yeah. So. Totally. Uh, we do have some predictions, Brent. Yeah, I bet you. I bet you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> I bet really folks curious are not going to see what right. people are going to say. <laughs> yeah. uh, we have a couple of a uh, couple of them on email, and uh-huh. we have at least one on Facebook. So let's head up mm-hmm. to Facebook. Okay. Um. Uh, JD on Facebook says. Uh, yeah. Not gonna lie, season four is when Stargate starts cooking. Sixes mm-hmm. for each. Mm-hmm. Okay. So good. Uh, you know, he he figured that uh, we'd both like it, like me. Yep. Only yep. perhaps, uh, maybe not quite so crazy. All right. We have <laughs> we have Arnacht. Yeah. Arnacht says, given Brent's aversion to the replicators, I predict that he will rate. Small victories, five chevrons, Ooh. having debated between four and five. Oh my gosh! It's like he's in my mind. <laughs> uh, wow. It's still a good episode, after all. Zach will probably rate it six chevrons. Oh, now my that I said that, I anticipate a fractional rating. Um, and you know, honestly. That's really close, Arnacht, because oh, I was yeah. kind of there, do I go for six or do I actually go the whole, you know, couldn't yeah. and go full seven? And, uh, you know, some of the things that helps in this conversation is it uh, helps me to uh, verbalize and articulate some of the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the feelings that were inside. Um, and uh, so, you know, I was sitting there thinking, well, do I go six? Do I go seven? And I'm like, you know what? Let's just be bold and let's do the whole thing. Let's do seven. Yeah. So that's really, really. Superb. Arnock, you have not quite nailed both of us correctly, but my goodness, you are really good at getting into our head. Yeah, that was. And and going through our thought process. I'm really, really impressed with that. Yes, me too. Uh, (laughs) Really. Truly. And uh, finally, we have David's uh, prediction. Yeah. Robot spiders defeated by a stupid idea, at least for now. I liked how they upped the threat level of the replicators beyond just robot spiders that eat stuff. They attack, adapt, upgrade, and pursue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Six mm-hmm, chevrons from Brent. Five for mm. it being a little repetitive from the last episode, plus one because they go to the Asgard homeworld, which was cool. That was cool. Six chevrons from Zack for much the same reason. Well, very close. 
I mean, well, for certainly, me. certainly, definitely right there as far as like uh, um, sort of like what things or uh, what themes mattered. Uh, I just was putting more weight into the like the moment of me just being like, meh, I don't know. Robot bugs. What yeah. are you going to do? Yeah. Well, you weren't overly excited about the robot bugs in the first episode. And Correct. I think that lack of excitement there um, uh, shapes your perspective in this one. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, the, 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 it, it very much is pivoting on the idea of swarm, right? Like, yeah. you know, I'm just not motivated by a swarm bad guy. Um, and it, it that's okay. <laughs> like it's fine. I mean, it's fine. Um, and I completely can respect how a person is motivated by a swarm bad guy. And it's just like, yeah, that's totally fine. That's how we know we're different. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, well, you anyway. seem to resonate very well with uh, Martin Wood because he doesn't really like that swarm bad guy either. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> All right, Brent. Yes. Episode two of season mm-hmm. four of Stargate SG-1 Mm-hmm. is entitled The Other Side. Yeah, okay. And I ask you, what is The Other Side all about? Hmm, The Other Side. Hmm. Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travel through the gate to find themselves on a strange world. But indeed, this world has been visited before by a familiar face that we've seen. Actually, it happens to be... Uh, it's it's Michello. It's Michello who's been on this world and, and back over before he was before he was gone. Uh, whatever. Anyway, he has left another one of those little swappy do devices behind, but this time it's in a different shape and configuration, meaning it is unclear that it's a little mind swappy do. Our heroic intrepid heroes engage the little mind swappy do thing and again find themselves inside the bodies of the other person. Oh no! Here we oh. go again. But this time is different. You see, this time, they end up spending the rest of the episode having a philosophical discussion about the impact of science fiction stories on modern society, and whether or not a particular <laughs> theme has a bit of a resonance with one person or the other. They actually are able to understand with deep and profound effect what it's like to look at these stories from the other side. Join us next time on Stargate SG-1 for the other side. Yeah? Oh, boy. Yeah, sure. Are they going to start up a podcast and talk about these things? What do you think? Well, this is the early 2000s. Podcasts really didn't exist yet. They were just around the corner. They were just, it was so close. It, y- close. But no cigar. But no cigar. <laughs> Shall we watch the promo for the other side? Yes. Let's do this. I think I am ready to go. Okay. All right. Here we go. Okay. Next time on Stargate SG-1. A desperate cry for help is received through the Stargate. Stargate, this Stargate is a portal to the world of our ancestors. Your kindred are deceived by a powerful enemy. Help us, please. This is the first time the descendants of Earth have actually called home. Oh my! I mean, either we try to do something, or we let them die. Uh-oh. Oh. Hey! Oh, our kindred would it's come Odo! <sighs> to friendship. Friendship. To friendship! But when a terrible secret is revealed... We're not going. The entire mission Why? is in jeopardy. Tilk and I are going to have a look around first. Go ask questions. 
lots of questions. Dear, it's all next time on Stargate SG-1. Things are not what they seem? I mean, I guess that's sort of what our podcast is about, too, sometimes. <laughs> well, that's Ooh. true. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I- I'm looking forward to that. Well, you know, the... O'Neill asks them to ask questions. So maybe Lots it is a podcast where they start talking about the philosophical qualities of science fiction. Right? I mean, it would be, it would, I, I think that that is a fantastic idea. You need to ask questions in order to understand the philosophical qualities of science fiction. So there you go. <laughs> so there, duh. <laughs> Problem <laughs> solved. Yep. Oh, awesome. All That's right. Good. Well, and I'm good. Glad to see uh, Renee, whose last name I can never pronounce. Aubergeanois. Thank you. Yeah, I had to yeah. practice that when he came on as Odo in Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Aubergeanois. Yeah, I'm that nerdy. That's fine. Now I also know that it's spelled like A U B R E X Q D R sixty thirty. in there. Hmm. Oh, there right. we are in French. <laughs> Special thank you very much to David for the promos. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we love them a lot. Uh, yes. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll get that up online here shortly-ish. Yeah. Uh, tell yeah. us what you think of Small Victories. Yeah, for uh, real. Tell us where Brent got it right and where I got it wrong or vice versa. Tell us when mm. you have that third perspective that would totally change everything for both of us. It would Whatever just unlock the universe. Um, talk to us on Facebook at Walking Through the Stargate. We've got the Facebook page in the group. Go to Twitter at Stargate Walking. Share mm-hmm. your experiences there. Or, of course, you can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. That's walkingthroughthestargate, all one word, at gmail.com. Yes. yes. And uh, with that, I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. That's Master Brentak. Not yet. I can't. That those words. If I can think of some other. If I can think of a riff on Ricardo Maltabon, I will absolutely accept that one. But uh, right now, Mr. Master Brentak is a little. Anyway, yeah, that's All us. Right. Well, uh, you know, for for Master Brentak and myself, thank you very much. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home. <laughs>